When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. We are proudly sponsored by Peanut, the app that helps you meet like-minded women who are trying to conceive. It provides a safe space for women to build friendships, ask questions and find support. Peanut introduces you to women nearby who are at a similar stage in their journey. They provide access to a community who are there to listen, share information and offer valuable advice. Whether it's learning more about issues that affect fertility or support following pregnancy loss and miscarriage, Peanut is a place to connect with women who understand. Here at The Worst Girl Gang Ever, we strive to open up the dialogue surrounding miscarriage and pregnancy loss. Peanut shares this ethos and we recommend downloading their app for more advice, information and support. You can download their app for free. All you need to do is head to peanut.app.link forward slash girl gang or find it in your app store. Hello, everybody. It's a real honour to welcome Claire to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. Hi, Claire. Hello, everyone. Lovely to have you here. Go on, Bex. In the studio. In the studio, there we are. <laughs> now, Claire has been pregnant four times. She lost her first son, Lucas, to a rare brain tumour and has gone on to have two children and an ectopic pregnancy in there as well. She also has been knighted by Queen Lizzie herself. She has an MBE. Ooh. A really long chat off air about MBEs and oh. uh, putting letters behind your name. And what are the yeah, letters I'm that you're going to have, Bex? T-W-A-T. <laughs> but Claire was saying that she doesn't like uh, dropping it into conversation where I was saying if I ever got one, I would open every conversation for the rest of my life with, oh, hi, I'm Bex Gunn, MBE. That's why we have the red carpet here in the studio. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, Claire. And if you could just start us at the beginning, that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, sure. I, me and my husband were married back, got married back in 2013. And, you know, sh- shortly after we got married, we started thinking about have, having a family, as everyone does. Uh, a few months in, you know, we started you know, wondering why, um, why we weren't getting pregnant. Um, everyone around us was getting pregnant quite, you know, first time. At this point, when you hadn't got pregnant, were you doing the whole ovulation checking or were you just like, oh, let's just have sex with no contraception and it Uh, will happen? No, no, ovulation obsessed. (laughs) Even that early on in the... Yeah, really early on because I think even after the first few months, I just expected that you'd get pregnant like first time. Like you just, you you spend so much of your life like thinking, oh, I mustn't get pregnant. And then you come you think you have you know you have sex all the time it's going to happen and when it doesn't happen you just automatically think well, why hasn't it happened for me yeah what's wrong um, with yeah so I went straight into buying like ovulation kits and pregnancy testing all the time and I was doing a lot of it in secret didn't want him knowing that I'm just coming like totally obsessed by it all because he'd often say relax you don't want to get you know we just want to just don't want to come to to obsessed with it because actually it might you know just might hinder the whole process but you just can't help it it's on your mind all the time you know I think when you're trying to get pregnant you do you think about it all the time I used to do the ovulation test like twice a day 
and I used to carry. Oh, a you're shot not glass. telling the shot glass story. Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna. It's coming out. So I used to take a shot glass with me everywhere I went, so I could do an ovulation test in the afternoon, right? And I took my my kids to a children's tourist attraction that will remain nameless, and did. <laughs> an ovulation test in the toilet but later that day I realized that my shot glass was missing from my handbag and it dawned on me that I'd left a shot glass full of wee on the back of a toilet in the toilets of this tourist attraction and I just imagined someone else finding it and just thinking what on earth has gone on it sorry anyway Claire go on things you do you know like it is it is crazy so after about like a year in we thought, I think it's time now that we go to see someone. So we went to um, the GP who referred us to see a few people. Um, my husband had the sperm count check and, you know, all seemed okay with him. And I was referred to see a gynecologist who did like various scans and internals mm-hmm. and, and said, well, you know, everything looks fine and was reassured that it will happen. It was just a case of when. Yeah. And it took about a year and a half. But yes, on the 31st of January, I found that, so it was about 15 months after the period of trying to conceive that I found out that I was pregnant. And it was a bit unbelievable, really, because you just think, oh my God, like, you know, is this right? And you end up taking, you know, several pregnancy tests later and it's all saying the same thing and you think you know I, I am pregnant and I can't say that I was really worried about the pregnancy like no I, I didn't go into the pregnancy feeling nervous I was still going to the gym I was still like you know I'd still play netball for a while I felt really you know I just felt really confident very fit did have any concerns and pregnancy itself was went really well went along to the scans and was reassured everything was fine and then Lucas was born I went into labor three weeks early the the label itself was fine so yeah so it all went it all went really well we brought Lucas home the next day and just thought right this is the start of um, us as a family of three so you know you're so Mm -hmm. excited and just can't wait to share your new bundle with everyone else three weeks after Lucas was born we were just one day changing him and noticed that um, I noticed that he wasn't moving one side of his face. The left side of his face wasn't moving properly. I remember just staring at him, just thinking, is it me? But then um, my husband was looking, like looked at me and said, um, Claire, does his face look a bit strange to you? Like his face don't look, look right. I immediately said, I, I, I was thinking, I was just thinking the same thing. Straight away thought, he's had a stroke I reckon that would be everyone's first thought yeah, yeah. Because, I mean his face you could see the face wasn't moving properly when he was when he was crying the yeah. face was quite relaxed on one side and how was he in himself everything else was fine like you yeah. know he was feeding um he was you know he enjoyed his cuddles yeah you know he was just everything else was was absolutely fine so um we took him straight to the hospital we just quickly got dressed we took him to the hospital which was like 10 minutes down the road and as soon as they saw the the pediatrician saw him she said i can i can see the facial palsy on one side and we wait we waited around for hours and hours and they were talking they were talking to other hospitals and they had the pediatrician said you know it could be just a facial palsy that's been brought on from the labor where he's been sitting in the pelvis and he's got a bit of inflammation so um, we're going to give him some steroids to see whether it reduces the inflammation and I'd like you to come back in a few days just to do an MRI because in my 16 years as a paediatrician, I've not seen um, a facial palsy in a baby this young. So I remember just being absolutely devastated. I remember saying to Clyde, 
to Kez, like, he doesn't look the same, he looks different, like, his face has changed. And I just remember being utterly devastated mm. and just thinking, I remember reading and reading up about facial pauses and, like, reading all this could be, could last for up to six months, you know, he could be left with some permanent paralysis and just thinking that that was awful I mean looking back in hindsight now had he been left with a bit of paralysis you know that's nothing you know but at the time when you're a new parent you don't want anything to be wrong with your baby no, of course not. you just want them to be perfect and you're just yeah. thinking why is my baby not perfect why is there something wrong with my baby you know everyone else's baby's fine um but so you went back in a few days we went back on my mum's birthday and I remember walking with Kez and thinking we were going to go for dinner in the evening with my mum and we were just going to go there have the MRI we're just going to be it's inflammation and we went there and he had the MRI and I remember sitting in the waiting room and we was waiting ages and ages and ages and I think yeah god how long did it take to get give us a result at this point were you beginning to get concerned or were you just like oh hospitals take ages I think we just think hospitals take ages yeah so then um we were called into the a room and there was numerous people in the room and you know you're looking at around the room and you're thinking well this is this isn't right you know why are we just not sitting down with one person telling us everything's all right there's numerous people in this room what's gonna ha- you know what are you gonna tell us and they told us that they had found um a tumor on lucas's brain they transferred his they sent his results over to great ormond street and they the radiologists had been having a look at them and uh, it looks like it's a tumor and um he won't be going home we'll, we'll be going straight to great ormond street and they, they they lent us a car seat and they put us in a taxi and they sent us straight to Great Ormond Street where wow. we met a radiologist. I remember Kez was holding Lucas and I remember looking at them just thinking, I just felt like, felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. Mm. Like I wasn't, I was in that room, but I wasn't in that room. I felt like I was looking at, every, you know, it was, it was a really, 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 really strange time. It was, I think I was just probably in a bit of shock as well. So I just remember thinking as well, how, how am I going to ring my mum on her birthday and tell her this news that like her, her newborn grandson's got a, a, a brain tumour? But I just could, I couldn't do that. Like, I had to get kids to phone. Like, I, yeah. I think I, no, I phoned my sister and I had my sister tell her the news because I was just like, how can I do that? How can I tell her? Because it's going to break her heart. Yeah. Um, we went to, we transferred to Great Ormond Street that night and then that week Lucas went through lots of different tests so they did they did scans of his organs just to see whether there's any tumours in his stomach and other organs vital organs and that all came back clear so every day we had tests done they come back clear I'll just be like oh I'm taking that I'm just taking you know that, yeah. that's good news just that's good mm-hmm. news and then they did another MRI just to have a closer look at the brain so he had it with the tumour was on his cerebellum which is just at the top of the spine and then on the he was in hospital at five days and he went in for a seven hour biopsy and it absolutely broke my heart when I took him down to the theatre because mm. they talked me through all the risks because he at the end of the day he was only a three-week-old baby nearly four weeks and you know they were going to be you know they're going into his brain and the aim to debulk the tumour as much as possible and you just don't know what what does that mean for him afterwards is he going to be brain damaged even if they find out that it, it's it's not benign he'll still need some sort of treatment he'll probably need yeah. some still need some form of chemotherapy um, they might be damaged the brain when they go in. So, but then at the same time, just think, I can't wait. I want them to go in. I want them to try and take that out of his head. I want him to be okay again. Find out what's wrong, then treat it. Just want that thing out of my little baby's head. I just, I want it taken away from him. Yeah. Were you staying so there, Claire, or did you come home every night? No, I stayed with him. I slept on a bed, and he, I remember we, when he came out of theatre. I mean, he was. He looked completely different. He was like twice the size because he'd been laying flat and they pumped them with fluids. 
He was just and so swollen, bandages around his head. And I remember him crying. And I remember going up to him, going like, oh, Lucas is second, mummy's here, mummy's and, and he just soothed. And it was the first oh, time oh, that's so lovely. I felt that actually he knew who I was. You yeah. know, you always, do they really know who I am, that I'm mummy? Do they really, do they really know? Can they smell me? But he just soothed. And I just was like, he knows we're here. Like, it yeah. was just. Mm. it was so it was just nice I just remember thinking can I, can I hold him can I hold him even though he had all these wires and tubes and, and I just remember holding him thinking you know like and you just you want to reassure them but you mm. just don't know as a parent whether everything is going to be all right yeah and so then it was a, it was getting him through the recovery to so getting him over the operation waiting and for the results of the biopsy to be honest it's his recovery from the operation I mean it's amazing how resilient babies are because yeah. we're going to like even even within twenty four hours, you know, he was starting to respond. He had a huge incision down the back of his head, and it was a few days later. One of the doctors come around and said, "We got some results for you today." We knew then. We knew that day that we knew we weren't going to get good results. Um, we just had a feeling because he was at the end of the day, he was like a four week old baby that's got that's got a brain tumor, and yeah. we just felt by the speed at which they were carrying out things and doing things, we just felt. I think they sensed it was quite serious. So yeah, that that that, that afternoon, we asked to take him for a walk, and we took him for a walk around um, Russell Square. And we're walking, you know, people are walking past smiling at you, thinking, "Oh, young couple, new baby," and you're just thinking in your head, "You've got no idea what we're going through." Yeah. You have no idea. Um, we took him back and then they called us into a room and um, they asked one of the nurses to keep an eye on Lucas and they sat us down and you can, we just knew, you know, you can tell by the, their mannerisms um, that it's not going to be good news. And they um, were explaining, you know, they start painting a picture, you know, that his age and the size of the tumour and they wasn't able to debulk it as much as they could and they've since tested it and it's an it's an ATRT tumour which is it's um, a raptoid tumour which um, is a very aggressive tumour and it grows very quickly and it usually happens in children um, under three so usually when that part of the brain is under active development so when they start walking talking running that part of the brain the cells are changing quite rapidly because they're growing so quickly and sometimes mutations can happen and cells copy themselves and sometimes so that's how tumors grow that's how they described it with lucas i i I think they suspected that it was genetic at that point because it came out in him as a baby so they explained that due to the how quickly it grows and there haven't been any survivors of that particular tumor and even though they could treat it end result is likely to still be the same and so that would be really hard, not only on us, but on Lucas, because putting him through that, it would need to be really heavy doses of chemotherapy. He would be very, very sick. Yeah. So it just did they even give you any sort of time frame of how long you'd be able to prolong his life for? It may be a few months. We wouldn't be talking years. And even then, they just wouldn't know how he would react to the treatment. I remember going into like work mode. I was like, okay, right, I've got a job to do. I need to, I need to deal with this. So are we, and I remember saying, I, I said to them, so are we talking weeks? Are we talking months? And uh, the doctor said, um, we're talking weeks. We're talking weeks. And I just remember thinking, weeks? Oh my God, like how's, I've only had him a few weeks. You yeah, know, how has like, this happened? Yeah. How is it? it was such a lot of information to digest. Mm. Um, it was just, even though you know it's coming, like you, you expect it's going to be bad news. Nothing can ever prepare you to be told that 
you know, this baby that you've come, you know, that you've only had not very long, but, you know, it is literally a part of you is going to be taken away. And so they they asked us what we, what we wanted to do, whether we wanted to take him to a local hospital, hospice or home. And I remember Kez saying, just literally just responding straight away, saying, I want to take him home. And I remember feeling really frightened, thinking, oh, my God, but what does that, you know, like thinking, oh, my God, what does that mean? Are you yeah. sure about this? And he's like, I want to take him home. I want him to be at home. And the next day when they got us an ambulance home, I just remember on that, that journey home looking out the window the whole time. I just remember looking out the whole time thinking, you know, the reality now of the situation is that I'm taking my baby home to die. Mm. Um, and and we the, all- were you prepared? Did the hospital talk you through what was going to happen? Not at that point. Right, okay. So they said that they would, there would be community nurses coming to us mm. and we would have some Great Ormond Street, we would have palliative care. Palliative care would be come out to us and support us through. What is palliative care? Palliative care is end of life treatment and it's making sure that there's a, a program in place uh, in terms of treatment to manage any symptoms that may um, occur as a result of that illness. Right. So they come the next day and they went through all the different things that potentially might happen with Lucas as the tumour grows and even though the baby's heads are, are quite malleable because they take, can take a lot of pressure. He could develop seizures. He would basically, the tumour would start to suffocate him. So his face would become more and more paralysed so he wouldn't be able to move. And, and, and exactly what happened. So he couldn't, he couldn't feed anymore. He uh, couldn't move his eyes. They think he actually lost his sight. He lost his hearing. And uh, he also lost the ability to swallow. So he developed quite a lot of secretions in his mouth and we had treatments then to, um, to, um, to absorb that, to, to dry the secretions. And so we just had, yeah, we just had this, it's a piece of paper and you can't believe you've got this piece of paper, which is an end of life care plan. And it's got your child's name on a baby's name. You just think, I just can't believe we're talking about a baby here. You know, we just took each, took each, I took all the newborn cards down because I had those up still. And I was just like, take them down, you know, get, get rid of them. We spent three weeks at home and during those three weeks, you know, we did little things like we went, we made the mistake of going to a coffee shop um, and there was all these new mums with their babies and that was Mm. just, it was horrendous. It was just awful. So we just, we learned where we, places we could go and we couldn't go. We we wanted to build memories still. We just, we didn't want to be stuck into a, you know, stuck in a flat and just the only memories we have is of being in this flat and watching him deteriorate. So we you know, we had trips to the park. Had you told your friends and family at this stage? Were they all completely in the loop? And did they come and yeah. see him or we we did. We told we, you know, we more or less as soon as we we knew, we told friends and family and they were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. You know, we had friends, friends come to see us. We had a friend that um that offered to to photograph Luca. She's a photographer. And she came to the house and um, she, I mean, she just walked through the door and she just was like in just in tears because she knew that the photos that she would be taking would be the last, you know, they, these would be photos that we're going to, they're the only things we're going to have left of him. And then she was apologising because she was really upset and she was just like, no, I shouldn't be upset, you know, we'll ask what you're going through. But people can't help but, you know, people, you know, you share, you share people's pain because it's just, you know, any situation it's like that. It's too horrific to comprehend fully, isn't it? It's human yeah, nature, it's, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's you know we had we had some of the community nurses that 
that broke down on us at times. You know, they said at the end of the day, we're only human. The job they do is amazing. And we couldn't we couldn't have had him at home without the support of like community nurses and the palliative. They were there for us whenever we needed them. Um, we could just call them, they'd come round. They were just brilliant. And the last week before he died, he was not in a good way. And every night we went to bed and then we had him in between us. And, you know, you wake I, I, I wasn't sleeping at all because I, I'd wake up during the night thinking, has he gone? Has he gone? Has he gone? I remember asking the palliative, like, what, what can I expect? When will I know the time has come that he's going to go? Because I remember I, I saw all the signs with my nan and I watched it, you know, less than a year before. Um, but I wondered if it was it would be the same for a baby. And, you know, they said, oh, his skin will get pale and he'll become quite clammy and his breathing will become quite shallow. But nothing can prepare me for what what happened the day he died. I mean, I knew when I woke up that morning, he hadn't fed you. I couldn't even get a meal inside him without his body just rejecting it. The day he died was horrific. I wasn't expecting what happened uh, when he died. But it went on for hours. Um, we was in the bedroom. I remember just holding him for hours and hours. And you just get to a point where you just, like, let him go. Yeah. yeah. Please, please stop this. It's I just can't watch this anymore. I just can't watch this. He needs to, it, you know, it's time now. He just needs to go. And so, yeah, he passed away. It was um, nearly seven weeks to the day, to the hour, nearly to the minute. He took his last breath and I knew instantly that he, he was gone. I remember, like, this sound that left my body I, I didn't even cry I wailed like it was a sound that you know almost like a mammal when you, you, you watch these animal programs and they lose a young and they're just like this wet this wailing sound it that's exact I just and I just couldn't I couldn't stop it it just felt like a, my heart had just been ripped out of my chest it was just devastating and, and Kez was just we were just saying to the nurses like Kez, I remember Kez saying I can't believe I've never seen a dead body before but I can't believe I'm looking at my son you know I cannot believe I'm looking at my son and it just broke my heart like just seeing him you know like my feelings were put put aside and it wasn't you know I didn't wasn't even thinking about my grief my feelings I I was thinking about Kez most of the time because it just broke my heart because he was so looking forward to us having a baby and we had this little boy and it was just and then yeah. what and go through this everything that we've been through over those three few months and then him being Lucas being taken away it was just heartbreaking me watching him go through that how long did you have him at home for after he died so we had to we it was only a few hours Laura we, we washed him so mm-hmm. We, we washed him and we dressed him. They had to have the doctor come round to um, to just sort of verify and verify, you know, just verify who he was. And they asked us how long we wanted to, him to be, to be with him. Thought, well, give us a few hours and then you can take him away. The undertaker come and he come with this little box. He come with this little plastic box. And then we watched him take him up the road. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, my son, my baby's in that in that bag oh. and, and we had said like before we let him take him we we put him in his sleepy head we dressed him we said we won't need to see him again like we've ne- we've tucked him in and that's enough but actually kept the days that followed Kez kept saying to me I can't get that vision out of my head of that yeah. man on the road with Lucas in a bag I just I can't I can't get it out of my head I don't th- I think I need to see him again just to, mm-hmm. to, to get that out of my head so we went to see him um, a few days later in his casket. So we we decided to give him a natural burial, so in a, a woodland burial. So we went to choose his wicker basket, 
Um, and we went to see him just a few days before we we buried him. And it was a really strange feeling because he looked completely different. I mean, you could see it was still him, but he was so different. But I still couldn't look, you know, I still kept standing by his, his casket and I kept touching his face and I kept touching his leg. And um, I just felt like I, I couldn't really leave him because it's like, well, this is mine. This belongs to me. And it's, you know, it's, I'm leaving it behind. It just feels a bit odd me just leaving him. Mm. And I, I shouldn't be leaving him. I'm his mum. It must be so difficult as well to take what you know will be like the last look. Yeah. You know, that yeah. last and knowing yeah. that. I'm not going to, this is it now. I'm, I'm not going to see him again. Yeah. And you, you don't want to forget his face. You know, you, you just don't want to forget his face. And I remember they brushed his hair forward. And I remember like them. Make, you know, make it a bit of, he doesn't have his hair like that. And he's like, hey, you've done your hair like that, you know. You have a side, but, you know, put his hair to the side. Oh. Um, but it was, it was very, it was, it was very surreal. And even, you know, we went to, we, when we had the, we buried him and um, they said to us, do you want to put him in the ground? And I was like, yeah, yes, please. And so we put him in the ground and um, then we started filling the, filling the grave and, um this guy come over to me and said, oh, no, I'll take it from here. And I said, no, 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 I, I need to fill it. And I stood there and I I, I, I was there until I, I filled it completely to the top. And I, it was like I, I was a woman obsessed. You know, I was like, no, I'm, I, as hard as it is, I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to unpack it. I'm putting him to bed. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I need to leave here feeling like I've put him, you know, I've just, he's, he's where I want to be. And I've put, I've left him there. I've put him there. Yeah. Yeah. Just to have some control over a situation which you otherwise yeah. don't have any control over. Yeah, and it's just I just needed to feel like I I did it for him. I'm his mum. I need to do it. If Yeah. I, you know, I can't let someone else. I don't know I don't want I know that they're very respectful, but it's like I needed to know that he was going to, you know, I wanted him to just it be done carefully and I just wanted it to be done how I wanted it to be done. Claire, tell us about the months after Lucas died how did you cope oh it's horrendous it was horrendous I was still left with a postpartum body mm-hmm. and I was on maternity leave and you know I'd go out for walks and I'd see all these you know I lived in an area that was that had loads of like young couples with new babies so I was surrounded by all these new mums and I remember sitting in coffee shops and like seeing new mums with their babies and I'd look over look at them and just and smile thinking you don't know how lucky you are like you yeah. and they look at you like so what you know what are you looking at and you just think you just don't you just don't you don't have any idea like you're so lucky and I was envious I was I was totally envious I wanted to be them and you're just going through so many different emotions like angry why us why are babies not there you know like why did he have to go through what he went through it was just yeah and but also relief relief that it was over you know it mm-hmm. felt like we were being tortured from the moment we found out to the to the day, you know, even after he was buried, we were called back to Great Ormond Street and they told us that Lucas had um, a mutation. So they explained, the oncologist described it as it was it was a genetic mutation. So where they described it as where people have two copies of DNA and um, Lucas was missing um, one of uh, uh, one of the copies of his genes. So the oncologist said, you know, if you get a mutation and things copy, what ten, if you get a mutation, what tends to happen is the good copy, because there's more of them, it rectifies them. Okay. Because he, he didn't have this second copy, when his good copy mutated, it just kept mutating right. and it 
grew into a tumour. Mm. It was almost like inevitable that it was it, it was going to happen and that he was going to develop a tumour and that he, you know, he would, you know, ultimately not live very long. But we, we obviously didn't know that and there's no way of testing for that during the pregnancy. But it left us, what they did say to us is that we would need to be tested to see whether we carried that mutation. So the months that followed, uh, and that those tests take quite a number of weeks, we started thinking, great, like, how's your luck? Like, now you're telling us that potentially one of us, a, a carrier, caused this. One of us did this to him. One of us put him through this. Mm. Um, and then we both felt immensely guilt, guilty. Kes would say, I bet it was me. I bet, you know, I, mm. I, bet, I bet it's my problem with me. And then I'd be like, no, I, I think it's, it would probably be me. They, 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 you know, they paint the picture, you know, if you are carriers, then, you know, the likelihood of you having another child with the same thing is highly likely. So we were tested um, and then we had to wait a number of weeks for the results to come back. And, I mean, luckily we were told that neither of us carried the mutation. So what they think happened with Lucas is at, at conception, when things copy over, things didn't copy over 100%. And, you know, they, she said to us, you know, making a baby is quite complicated. People yeah. think it's really easy. People think it's mm. so easy. It's a miracle, <laughs> isn't it? It's really complicated. So you know, obviously we were pleased that we neither of us were carriers, but they did say that we still had a 3% chance of having a child with the same, uh, same thing because they can't say for sure that that's what happened at conception. Right. So for us, 3% is 3%. You know, what happened to Lucas is quite rare, but we we were one of those people yeah. and it happened to us. Yeah. So it does happen. Yeah. When something so rare has happened to you, you start you you start realizing any percentage feels too high. high. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And we couldn't go through that again. So they explored whether we could develop a test, a genetic test, where they use mining Kez's DNA to develop a test, which would then be used in early pregnancy to look at the separate the fetus's DNA from the, the mother's and check under a particular chromosome for this particular gene that they had two copies and they they found out they could do that and um we had to pay privately and we had that test built by Great Ormond Street and that test is, is stored at Great Ormond Street non-invasive it's done through blood sampling um and it's done around nine nine ten weeks of pregnancy so even before you have that three month scan that's so incredible. incredible. Mm. So it, it is It is incredible. That really is incredible, Claire. And we're going to take a break um, and wrap up part one because you've done so much more since Lucas that we want to talk to you about. So we're going to see you for part two in a couple of days. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll speak to you soon. <laughs> speak to you soon? <laughs> Not directly. <laughs> Over the sound waves. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounded good. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.